and update on CFAC elections. A tutoring center in Palos Hills caters to Middle Eastern students. Associate Professor Gary Johnson comes on and Muslim voices are highlighted in a new exhibit. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. Hello, my name is Paige Barnes, staff reporter at the Columbia Chronicle. Today, I'm here with Gary Johnson, associate professor of writing for the English and Creative Writing Department. My first question for you, Gary, is what inspired you to write this tribute? Well, it goes back to when uh, Fred Hampton, who was a Black Panther in the Black Panther Party, the Illinois chairman of the Black Panther Party, and lived in Chicago. I was in high school when he was killed. In 1969, I was a sophomore. Mm -hmm. But then I come to a Columbia College, Chicago sociology class 10 years later in the 70s, and the teacher there shows The Murder of Fred Hampton, the film by Mike Gray. Mm -hmm. And it just like blew the whole class away. And I knew nothing about it until that film. And it shows the aftermath of what happened when the cops busted into the Panther safe house and shot it up. Mm. And you're just thinking, uh, how is this possible that the police could come into somebody's house and do these kind of things, right? So in the long run, I've ended up writing about race in Chicago mm. for my whole career uh, based on that one class that I had at Columbia College in probably 1977, 78. Yeah. All right. And could you explain to me what you think your impact um, in writing the in Fred's um, legacy has on Chicago and also students here at Columbia? Right. So I've seen other tributes to him written in poetry. There's one in Chicago Magazine and there's others. Uh, my poem has been published on, on blackagendareport.com. Uh, so it's up there today as a tribute to Fred. I felt it important to retell the story to a new generation. Mm -hmm. So for the young people who don't know exactly what happened, and it, there's going to be news items on it all day today because it happened 50 years ago, December 4th, 1969. But what story are they going to tell? What's the angle of the story, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm telling the bare bones of what's in Mike Gray's film, uh, where people were at in the apartment at the time, and this is all documented. Right. So my three sources are the murder of Fred Hampton, the film, the assassination of Fred Hampton, the book by Fred Haas. And then there's another book that I use uh, that tells this story about who these people were, Black Panthers across the country. It was a black organization that was looking to stop police brutality across the country. Mm -hmm. And the government wasn't going to have it because they were standing up for their own power, yeah. you know. And this is right at the time of Vietnam where you know, we're bombing Vietnamese and napalming them and stuff. And then the head of the FBI comes out and says, uh, oh, no, the number one enemy of the United States is the black power movement. You know, mm -hmm. oh, really? While we're bombing people over in, you know, in Indochina, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's a context of the story that I try to get into the narrative. So new audience coming to it can say, oh, my God, this really happened? Well, here it is. It's in black and white. Mm. And can you tell me how you decided on what literary devices to use? Well, it's funny. This has been cut down. It's like six pages, but it's in uh, poetry form, of course. But it was like 10 pages where I had myself, my education coming to this subject matter going back 50 years, well, 40 years. 
And in the, in the last draft of it, I cut myself out because it's not about me. It's about Fred and the organization, uh, who the Panthers were and how they affected the city. And his main sin, and it's in the poem, is um, probably that he formed the very first Rainbow Coalition in mm -hmm. Chicago. Yeah. Jesse Jackson would take that over later, but his Rainbow Coalition was he was very inclusive, and so he's including Black Panthers with hillbilly white racists from the north side. They were called themselves the Young Patriots, mm -hmm. and then Puerto Rican Street Gang, the Young Lords in Lincoln Park. They formed a coalition. And if the government is going to be afraid of anything, it's going to be a coalition of different people getting together saying, we want this. And could you tell me a little bit more about the title? Um, so I read your tribute, and I saw that in there, um, you the, what was said was, he's good and dead now. And how does that play into the title? Right. So, well, good and dead is the title of the piece. Mm -hmm. And that's what the police said who went into his room after they had machine gunned the room through the wall uh, in a wave pattern along the wall and just shooting through the wall into the bedroom where they knew he was at because there was a uh, informer within the Black Panthers who happened to be his bodyguard. You know, it was his security that was flipped by the FBI and he gave, the bodyguard gave the uh, schematic or the, you know, the layout of, of the apartment to the police. So they knew where the bedrooms were and everything, and they came in and just shot through the wall. But then they went in, and at close range, according to his girlfriend who was in the room, they threw her out of the room, but she mm -hmm. heard this shot at him at close range in the head, and those were the wounds that he had. Yeah. And that's when the cop says, uh, he's good and dead now. Mm -hmm. And what made you choose that rather than another title for this piece? Well, I wanted you to see the title and think, hmm, I have to read this. So it's kind of a hook. <laughs> it's a literary device to get somebody to keep reading, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I like that. And then what do you think it would take to create a society that values racial and, I guess, racial differences? Well, there's a lot of people talking about that now because we have a lot of economic strife. Mm -hmm. We have 70 million uh, refugees wandering around the world without a place to go, without a home, without a country, a lot of stateless people and things. We have to look at what's causing this strife. Um, is it wars that are being fought? Is it government policy? Is it people who are in control who don't want to give up control? I mean, those are the things we need to look at to figure out why we're in the pickle we're in. Do you think that there are people, specific people in particular, that have the duty to keep um, these, uh, like, for example, for uh, Fred Hampton's stories like him alive in society today? Well, this is interesting. Like I said, I took myself out of the, the previous draft of this where I was talking about my relationship to him and that there was one day I went and swam in the uh, Maywood pool, Right. And that's yeah. a memorial to Fred. Mm -hmm. And I just felt really creeped out because you know what this hole in the ground is meant for. It's, it's for a dead man's uh, memorial. And I see two kids playing. They're like 11 years old, one black and one white. They're splashing and chasing each other and giggling and laughing and having fun. And I'm wondering while I'm swimming, what do they know about this pool? Do they know the legacy, how this thing got built? Because it was built after he was dead. Mm -hmm. Right. So... I met a woman who lived down the street from the pool, right? And the Hamptons live right on that block. They could see the pool from their house. And I had asked her, 
because um, I was referring to these kids that were playing, do they know? And I said, okay, answer me this. In, do, do you guys tell the kids in the neighborhood, the black kids in the neighborhood, the history of Fred Hampton? Mm-hmm. And she says, no, we don't. Um, and my final question is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like me to know or listeners or readers to know about your narrative? I was uh, raking leaves at my mother's house the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And this story is so embedded in, in me that I was raking leaves and I'm thinking, you know what? Fred Hampton can't rake his mother's leaves. Um, do you mind before we leave? Um, could you read a little excerpt that you have? Yes. Thank you. Good and dead on the 50th anniversary of the killing of Fred Hampton by Chicago police. Chicago, never an enlightened city, has declared itself a sanctuary city to blunt federal predatory immigration policy and shrieks of a Twitter-in-chief inciting his base's hatred of the other. Even with its newfound dignity, a reform mayor, Mexican independence paraded down 26th, King Drive Bud Billiken pageantry, Our immigrant city has yet to square a notorious racist past. Chicago, never in an enlightened city, where in a December 4, 1969 pre-dawn West Side raid at 2337 West Monroe, 14 cops in cahoots with we now know the FBI blasted their way, Capone style, a shitstorm of 99 flying bullets into a Black Panther apartment killing party member Mark Clark, shot through the heart, and Illinois Party Chairman Fred Hampton, shot twice at close range in the head. Several kids between the ages of 5 and 12 lined up shoulder to shoulder with smiles on their faces as they recited verses of the Quran for the afternoon prayer on Saturday, December 7th. When the students finished their prayers, they neatly folded their individual rugs and shuffled into their classrooms. Genius Kiddos opened in 2017 with a mission to provide affordable education, offering tutoring in areas like English as a Second Language, All Subject Tutoring, Islamic teachings, and more for children and adults. Aside from traditional education opportunities, they also provide citizenship testing, FaceTime sessions, and driver's permit help. Principal Aya Suhail says their center is important for those in the community who cannot afford extra educational help. Tutoring over here is a luxury. We know lots of people need help, but really can't afford it. So we looked at like the, the prices towards tutoring centers over here, and we're like, wow. What can we do that can help a child out, help a parent out, and not, like, break the bank? According to AmericansUnited.org, hate crimes went up 17% in the year of 2017 alone. And that one out of every five hate crimes targeted someone because of their religion, and three out of five targets were due to race or ethnicity. Teacher in Har Suhail says that Genius Kiddos is a place for the community to come together and forget about hate from the outside. So we did have a lot of 
hate comments on Google review or um, Yelp. We made sure we were safe. We put a lock on our door. We People have to get buzzed in to come into um, the center. Suhail also says that Arab students in the Payless Hills community are often singled out in their public school classes and that the group learning sessions are often a way for Arab students to feel as though they belong. I think they feel more comfortable here because everyone's the same. And the Arabs over here are usually group session because they want to make friends here. They want to have other people from different schools as friends. Teacher Nisreen Kayad moved to the United States with her children who also attend the center. Kayad says the center builds a community that keeps her children reminded of their Middle Eastern identity and Islamic teachings while being able to have friends who do the same. As we used to live uh, three years ago back home in Palestine, and they were raised there, and they knew a lot of Arabic and Quran, but here, after a while, they start losing it. So I want, as a mom, they need other kids, and they need other one, you know, to supervise them. Parent Fatima Hayek has been taking her kids to the center for only three months, but said her kids look forward to going each week because it is a place where they finally fit in while keeping in touch with their roots. It builds a great community with my kids, also bringing them back to their culture and their religion, recognizing it because sometimes it could be lost. So I really appreciate that they can bring that diversity in and make it and they make it fun for them and enjoyable. But the center doesn't just help bring children back to their roots and build a community. It is also a place where some women learn to read and write for the very first time. Principal Suhail said that they have had some women in their early 20s come from the Middle East to learn to read and write in Arabic, even though they are fluent in the language. The majority of the time is like their husbands or their dads don't believe in school overseas. They just want them to stay at home, watch the kids, cook, clean, that stuff. The principal said one of the women who came to the Center for Literacy Help has since enrolled in college courses and has started a new life. She started going to college and completed a phlebotomy course by herself. We made her feel confident enough that she can start working by herself and not rely on her husband only. And when a person feels confident, we know that we did our job. Let's move over now to co-editor-in-chief Alexandra Yetter for a bit of a quick news update. So Alexandra, in our last podcast, we said that the CFAC elections would finish on December 9th. So what are the results of those elections? The Standing United Slate, which is the incumbency, won the election by over half the vote. Okay, and that includes Dinah Valera as president, Andrea Diamond as vice president, and, I, and forgive me, but I can't quite remember the other two And uh, then members. Lisa Formosa Parmigiano as secretary and Susan Van Veen as treasurer. Okay, so you say they won by half the vote, so it was a bit of a comfortable margin. Yeah, the uh, in the presidency, Dinah Valera took away 121 of the total, about 200 votes, and then um, her challenger, Jason Betke, took about 89 votes. And then I know the Department of Labor was supervising this election and the ballots were mailed in. So is there any concern that maybe a ballots were lost in the mail? Anything from the Department of Labor? Is this election all good to go? So far I haven't heard anything, but I was actually standing outside while the Department of Labor conducted the ballot counting and um, Jason Becky actually popped out and talked to me. He told me how uh, comfortable and satisfied he is with how the Department of Labor has been handling the votes. Uh, they took them out of these sealed boxes, and they took these, like, mail openers to open everything, mm-hmm. and they validated, uh, validated them, and then um, made sure they were all done correctly, and, 
yeah, it was a very laborious, hours-long process. Okay. And other than Jason Betke, were there any other comments from anyone else you were able to get? Yeah, the Standing United slate um, sent me a statement talking about how the election was an affirmation that the leadership and their pillars of labor rights and diversity are withstanding because of this election. And obviously, while the reform CFAC slate was disappointed, they were proud of the progress that they were able to make. Alexandra, thanks for coming in and go to ColumbiaChronicle.com for more reporting on this story. When you hear the word Muslim, what comes to mind? Do you think terrorism, the Muslim ban, a hijab? Pew Research Center found that 75% of Muslims say they have been discriminated against since the 2016 election of President Donald Trump alone. With much noise from the political climate of Muslims, their art, writing, and history are often overlooked. Voices of Muslim Chicago have been around as early as the 1800s when the city itself was created. With about 500,000 Muslims residing in the Windy City alone, voices of Muslim Chicago have only recently been recognized in the new Chicago history exhibit, American Medina. Peter Alter, historian, director, and curator of the American Medina exhibit, stressed the need for Muslim voices to be heard as more than what is seen in the news. They're refugees from Afghanistan. They're military veterans. They're folk dancers. They're novelists. They're photographers. Alter provided a guided tour showcasing Muslim authors, artists, mosques, cultural artifacts, and the diversity of the Muslim population in Chicago. Quotes from historically known Muslims were scattered around the exhibit. As you kind of move through the space, at the very end is a quote from Malcolm X, never accept images that have been created for you by someone else. It is always better to form the habit of learning how to see things for yourself, listen to things for yourself, and think for yourself. Author Naveen Shapna, born in the Middle East, is featured in the exhibit with her book, Secrets Under the Olive Tree. Shabna says the exhibit feels surreal. This is a chance for people to tell their own story about their own journey and for a museum like the Chicago History Museum to showcase that and our stories and our journeys I think is extremely important. According to the most recent FBI special status report, in the year following the 9-11 attacks, an increase in hate crimes against Muslim Americans reached 481 incidents. And fast forwarding to the year 2015, an uptick of 78% surfaced as well. Shabna recalls the concerns she felt while watching the news just after 9-11. Every time I heard an Arab name or a Muslim-sounding name, I almost cringing fear, um, worry. Although the surge of hate on Muslims has risen over the years, community mosques such as the Orland Park Prayer Center are working to change that. Youth Director Shireen Salama, who has been volunteering at the mosque for years, has watched her students grow and become vocal leaders. This really kind of helps people feel comfortable and then also giving them that voice and like being able to speak about it and like you don't have to run away, you don't have to hide, you don't have to be afraid of who you are, but being able to kind of use that Muslim voice of yours to teach other people about what your religion has to say. Salama believes that if more Muslims practice the religion traditionally, there would be less controversy surrounding Muslims. Because Islam within itself doesn't teach anything violent. Islam within itself is like a, a beautiful religion. It's just the fact that sometimes when we take it into our own hands with our own understanding, people may twist it and then, you know, the media highlights those negative aspects of it. With a rise in hate against Muslims around the world, here in Chicago, Muslims are now being seen as much more. Tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check 
out all of these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, columbiachronicle.com, and additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of our staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Communications Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chair. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Yasmin Shika and Blaze Mesa. Show us what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines.